Well, good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here this morning. That was the uh, first thoughts I was having, Dennis, as you were sharing about the church building, was that we didn't build it that way. But usually it is the first impression people have as they come to Open Door. It's like, well, this doesn't, it's not the typical little Mennonite church. But So it is, we're kind of used to it. be 20 years already in, in July coming up here that we started having church there. And it was an outreach group off of Pleasant Valley. And uh, definitely felt the Lord's leading in, in going to that direction into a community that was a little bit more unchurched, at least with Mennonites. Unchurched more in general. There are not a lot of churches right in the area. Um, but yeah, it was a little, little uh, church that was built by one man, a little, little extension out of the 1950s and 60s holiness movement, and one man that had his church there, and when he passed on, his son continued, and eventually it just kind of went to nothing. And it was for sale, but he wanted to see it stay a church, so it became an opportunity for us. I invite your attention to John chapter 17 this morning. <clears throat> title of the message this morning is in the form of two questions, maybe a little bit uh, unique way to ask the question, but I asked this morning, who in the world are you and how in the world are you doing? Thinking about the world this morning and its system, and I'm going to read out of John 17. We know this to be Jesus' prayer as he prays to the Father. And um, I'm going to pick up in verse 6, the first five verses or so, are Jesus uh, praying specifically for himself. And then he goes on in verse 6 through the rest of the chapters, praying for his disciples and those that will be believers in him on, on through the rest of the chapter. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they are, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are, are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and that they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them, which thou hast given me, for they are thine. You notice already there in verse 9, the separation between the world, as Jesus speaks of it here, and the believers. He says, I am not praying for the world. I'm praying for those, these, the believers in me. Verse 10, And all, all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, 
that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone. He's kind of switching here now from the disciples. Neither pray I for the disciples alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Who in the world are you? Catch a little phrase maybe, but the question is, where do you find yourself in this world? Jesus said, I am not come to take them out of the world, but to keep them in the world. We are in this world. We're human beings, and we have this human life. We have this life in the flesh. We're not called to live in, in or out of the flesh. We're called to live in the Spirit as believers in Jesus Christ. But we still live in this world. We're in the world. Um, it would be... It would be um, I guess nice, we'd probably view it as kind of appealing if when we become to be Christians, God just takes us out of the world and removes us from this terrible place. Um, but that's not the case. And there wouldn't be much point in that when we think about Christ wanting followers and those that will voluntarily serve Him and live for Him and, and uh, procreate the faith. Tell others we have to be here for that. The word world, as it is basically used here in this context, is the idea of, um, the word in the Greek would be cosmos, I believe, and it's the, it's the word that, uh, it's, it's really talking about a system, okay? It's not talking about the earth, as in the round world. We, we use those words interchangeably at times in our English language. We say the world, or we say the earth, and we kind of mean the same thing. It's it's not that kind of it's not that word here. It's not talking about the earth that you 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 see. It's not talking about the creation. It's talking about the world system. So really, really, what he what he's talking about here is he's talking about 
um, Satan and his dominion as the world in that sense. The system that is out there that wants to swallow every one of us up in, and, and wants us to assimilate that system. Uh, we, that system wants to assimilate us right into itself and make us part of the world. And this is what we mean when we talk about not being worldly and, or you know, that kind of talk. I want to look at uh, three, three points this morning. First of all, the temptations of the world, and I'm not, we'll probably spend the, the most time on, on the last point. The, the temptations of the world, secondly, the destination of the world, and then third, the, the position of the world in the believer, or looking at that, that combination or where we're supposed to be in position with the world. And I'd like to turn to 1 John chapter 2 for a few verses. One of my classes this term at Bible school is the General Epistles, uh, James through Jude, and uh, that was a new one for me, and whenever you teach a new class at Bible school, you get a little more nervous, and you study a little more, and you still wonder if you're going to have enough stuff. But I've discovered, I've been blessed with these epistles, and and um, actually right now we find ourselves in First John right at the moment, and uh, just impressed with the the immense amount of material or information that's given these couple short books. It's not it's like a small segment of the scripture, even of the New Testament. It's not very large. But these, these, these books are packed with things for us. And First John is no exception to that. The temptations of the world, First John 2, starting at verse 15. Here's what John tells us. Love not the world... Neither the things, and that is the world, the cosmos, the system that is all around us. Love not that world and its system. Neither the things that are in that world and its system. This gets pretty close home because we live in and around all this stuff and these things. And um, we need to have a certain amount of these things in order to operate and even to live here in this world. And, but we're not to love them. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we find right off the top here that it is not possible, it is an impossibility for us as a human being to love the system of the world and love God the Father at the same time. The two do not compute. They don't equate. And, and we're going to have the love of one or the other, not both. And I know that we can catch ourselves at times trying to be just a little bit both ways, just trying to make it work. We don't want to quite give up all of our love for the stuff, maybe. This isn't saying that we don't have any of those things. It's not saying that we aren't in and among it. But where is our, where is our uh, desire? Where is our love? Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth 
the will of God abideth forever. And so here in John 2, verse 16, we get a snapshot glimpse of the temptations of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you, if you analyze that carefully, you discover that that pretty much encompasses all the temptations that we face. The lust of the flesh, James says, in James he says that when we're tempted, we're not to say we're tempted of God. God doesn't tempt us. But we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts. Where does that lust come from? Yeah, we can, we can say that all evil and wickedness has its origin with Satan, that's true. And, the, and our human nature has its origin with Satan, that's true. But sometimes we want to get off a little easy. And we forget that the lust that is within us um, is, is what's coming up. And we have our own temptation because of our own, it's our own fault at times. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The flesh, it's maybe a little hard to divide the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes into two different categories, but I believe it is in general two different categories. There are certain things that we just like. It has to do with our flesh. We like to be pampered. We like things easy. We like stuff at our fingertips. We like all these things. The lust of the eyes, I believe, is more or less the eye gate and things that we would go after because of seeing them. And then the pride of life. Maybe has to do also pretty heavily with this world system. I believe all three of these do have a lot to do with this world system. How much of this world has become a part of you? Or how much have you become a part of this world? It's pretty clear here that we can't really have the two. Uh, we can't have the world and, and God. Now, does that mean that as soon as uh, a Christian lusts after something, or as soon as a Christian slips up and goes after something in this world, that immediately they're not gods. I think we have to be a little careful with that. But our goal as Christians should not be, our goal should not be, it must not be, how much of this world's stuff can I have and still be a Christian? Okay. It's not how much can I do and still be okay with, with Christ. Our goal should be selling out to Christ and making sure we're not part of this world system. Jesus said, I didn't, I'm not taking them out of the world, but I keep them safe. Dear Father, keep them safe from the world. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Here we have the temptation of Christ. The temptations of Christ. And I just want to pull one out here. Verses 8 through 10. Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him up, that's Jesus, up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, 
For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. I wonder how many Christians, in quotes, Satan has gotten with this temptation. You can have all this stuff if you worship Me. And I wonder how many people are even in the church and have all this stuff. And the only difference is the end result. But that difference is huge. It's, it's not worth waiting to find that out. When I ponder what happened here, maybe, maybe my imagination gets the best of me, but in this one, I, I, as I ponder this, Jesus was shown, I, I believe Jesus was shown, and, and this would be possible because Jesus was God, and he's dealing with Satan who is not God, but is very powerful also. Jesus, I believe, was shown all of the world in a moment, somehow. Now, how spectacular would have that view been? It says here that he took him up into a high mountain, um, seating high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, I guess we could be, I guess we could just assume that that was just, that somehow they could see what existed at the time. But somehow I think it was maybe more than that. Satan was offering to Jesus some real honor here, in his, as, he would, as he would offer it. Um, and he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. Try to imagine having a glance at all the kingdoms of this world at once. I'm not sure. I don't know what Jesus saw. I don't know what he was shown there. But it was glamorous, I'm sure. Satan does the same thing with us today. Maybe not the kingdoms, because he's maybe not trying to lure us into trying to be a king or whatever. But Satan shows us a lot of glamorous things. This world and this world system is full of glamorous things. Full of things that say, look at me. I will give you happiness. We were talking about that this morning in Sunday school. How do we really find freedom and happiness? It's not through the stuff that we have. It's not through the things that this world has to offer. But Satan will try to get us, and all too often he might actually tri trick us. And we see the things, we see the stuff, we see whatever it is that he's offering us, and it looks so good, it looks fulfilling, it looks like happiness to the truest sense of the word, it looks like joy, but only, we only find out that it's just a fleeting whim that leaves us empty in the end. We have to keep in mind that Satan is the ruler of this world at this point. Okay, The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. I believe that he, he has limited power, yes, because he still has to answer to God in that sense, but Satan... This world is Satan's dominion. And that's why we as Christians, that's why we are not, this is not our home. That's why we're called to be strangers and pilgrims here. Because this world, as we know it, and this world system, is not native. This is not our end result as Christians. This is Satan's dominion. And his creation, if you will. Not the initial creation. But well, a lot of what's come to be here in this world and its system is of Satan. Jesus was tempted in all areas like as we are. 
or have been, Scripture tells us. And um, that's hard to, to comprehend. But we need to accept that through faith. There are a lot of temptations in this world and in its system. We're called to flee them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Second point, the destination of the world. John 16 and verse 33 says this. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now that's talking about the destination of the Christian. We know the destination of this world, and if we really want to understand it to the best of our ability, we need to go and read the book of Revelation. We need, we need to read, actually, the whole Bible. But the destination of this world, especially as we look at the judgment of God upon this world and its system, we know that this whole world is going to burn up. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be gotten rid of. We're told there's a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know what that looks like. Um, we tried to discuss that a little bit in one of our classes this past week. One of the students said, well, what does it mean, a new heaven? Like, isn't heaven already? And I believe in this case, that's speaking about a new heaven and a new earth, as in, as we see the heavens, the, the creation. It's going to be a new creation of some sort. I don't, know, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how that's going to work. But it's pretty clear in Scripture that this world's going to burn up, it's going to be gotten rid of, the, the wickedness is going to be eliminated at some point. God is going to, Jesus Christ is going to reign. God is going to set all the wrongs right that ever happened in this earth. And Jesus says to his believers, we're going to have tribulation in this world. You are going to have tribulation in this world. This world is not going to be a good place for you. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so, as we follow Him, we can be overcomers in this world. Christ has overcome the system. He lives above it, far beyond it. We are to be overcomers as well. If you think about your involvement with this world and you think about the things that you have they're part of this world not all the things this world has are wrong okay it's a lot of a lot of good things a lot of things we need that are, that are essential to life here in this world but as you think about those things how much do those things have hold on you and your life how easy is it or difficult is it for you to think of everything that you have being destroyed? You think we can think about Lot and his experience? I'm sorry, Job and his experience? And um, how he pretty open-handedly said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. We know that it wasn't quite that simple for him. He had a lot of hard questions to answer. He was asked a lot of hard questions. But he seemed to understand and comprehend the concept that God's the owner and not man. 
What about Lot? And especially Lot's wife. The Bible tells us to remember Lot's wife. They were commanded to flee to the mountain and not look back. His wife couldn't resist, I guess, and she looked back. She was judged for that. They were that connected with they were that connected with what was going on there in Sodom that those men of God, the angels, could hardly get them out. They could hardly get them out in time. They couldn't get the family to come along. There was mockery. Even in all that, it seems as if the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. But how close do we want to get? How entangled do we want to get? How near to the destination of this world do we want to come before we get freed from it? The destination of this world is destruction. And we're called to be not a part of it. Let's go on to the third point, the position of this world. The position of the world in the believer. Going back to that, to the temptation that we read about Christ there on the high mountain. Christ denied a moment of glamour in, in order to avoid an eternal disaster. Think about it. How often do we not accomplish that? We do not accomplish, we do not conquer or deny a moment of glamour. Maybe a moment of glamour in our life doesn't always produce eternal disaster. Okay. But it, it starts us on that track of eternal disaster. If Christ would have succumbed to Satan, it would have been eternal disaster for all of us. Okay. Because he needed to remain completely sinless in order to be that perfect sacrifice. And he did that. But he denied... I, I believe that Jesus could have sinned. He had to be able to have sinned in order to, to make the temptations worth anything and to make what he actually lived out here on earth worth anything. Christ was human. And I know I can't explain it for you. I don't understand it either. My brain is just as boggled by it as yours, how Christ could be altogether human, altogether God at the same time. But if there was no possibility of Christ to ever have done wrong... He, I believe that he did have strength within. He did. He was not under the curse. He had. There was something about him that's different than you and I. But he could have chosen wrong, just like Adam and Eve chose wrong. They were they were created with creatures of choice. But I believe that Adam. I believe that Eve or Adam or both. Seems like they were in it together, sort of. Um, I believe they could have just as well chosen the right at that point. Christ denied a moment of glamour in order to avoid an eternal disaster. And I, and I think that we need to keep that in mind as this world offers us things. It offers us its system over and over again, daily, pretty near. Keep in mind that a moment of glamour might end in eternal disaster. How much are we willing to deny of this world and its system? And I don't think anyone was at Bible school last evening from here, but 
maybe there's one or two of you, but uh, we heard a good message last night on technology, and, and I was challenged by that. How much are we willing to deny in the area of technology, for example? The, um, technology directly connects us to this world and its system. And um, not all of it is wrong. A lot of it may not be wrong. In itself, it's not wrong. But where are we willing? Where are we willing to stop? Or are we willing to stop? We are in the world, but not of the world. That's the calling on our life. In, we're in the world, but not of the world. Can we live here, but not become part of the system? That's the question. Is it possible? Well, we know it's possible. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. So it's possible to live in this world and not be swallowed up by it. To live in this world and not be part of its system. It is a possibility. But, but the possibility rests within our choice as individuals. We choose to be part of or not to be part of this system. And the, the power to not become part of the system is from the Holy Spirit as He dwells within us and as we live close to Christ and His Word. Think about it. What does not being part of the system mean in work, in your workplace, in your business, if you're a business owner, in your goals, just any person, and you, as you set goals from day to day, I would like to do this, I would like to do that. How much is being part of this world system integrated into our thought life, into our thought patterns? In 1 John 4, verse 4, we have this verse, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's the same world we're talking about. Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that is indwelling you as a believer, that Holy Spirit that is indwelling you as a believer, is greater than the spirit of the power of this world, Satan. He's greater than. This book is greater than Satan. Are we willing to tap into the power and the resources that we have? Do you know that if you live... How many of you, how many of you have read... The little booklet, by, by more recently came, came out uh, through Cam from Gary Miller, by Gary Miller, The Global Wall. How many of you read that? Okay, not too many. If you have a chance, get your hand on that book and read it. It's not, it doesn't take real long to read, and it'll make you think. Do you know that if you live in America, I think you know this, but it's kind of a given, but if you live in America, you are rich. From a global perspective, you're rich. Gary has some numbers in that book. 31% of the people in the world, 31% of the people in the world have their, uh, have 97% of the world's wealth. 31% of the people have 97% of the world's wealth. That leaves 69% of the people in this world with 3% of the world's wealth. When you really think about those numbers, it's mind-boggling. He calls it a global wall. He has pictures, diagrams in that book. does a really good job of showing us 
And so you have 97% of the wealth stacked up on this side of the wall, and 3% is just a little, almost nothing over on the other side of the wall. And yet this huge stack only represents 31% of the people. And he asks the question, how do you know which side of the wall you're on? Well, if you live in America, you already know. But here's how you can tell. If your assets are more than $10,000, you're on the big side of the wall. Now, how many homes, I know I can safely answer this question, how many households here have assets of less than $10,000? That's poverty level in America, pretty much. Maybe not totally if someone lives in the city and doesn't own their house. And, but yeah, basically it's poverty level in the United States. And yet, we forget these realities because we maybe don't know them or we just don't think about them. Um, we forget these realities and, and um, if we really want to put things in perspective, we have to take a long, hard look at whether how much we've become a part of this world and its system. A large part of this world's people don't know, a very large part, I'm not sure I can give you a percentage, but a very large part of this world's people don't know where their next meal's coming from. And we in America throw food out, maybe even out of our freezers because it's been in there too long and it's spoiled. Or it's gotten freezer burnt and it ain't very appealing anymore so we get rid of it. And huge amounts of people don't know where they're going to find their next meal. Anyway, so much not for that. I'm not trying to put us on a guilt trip. I want us to get perspective for who we are, where we are, where we find ourselves, and how we become, how we acclimated into this world system. Now, there's, it's not really possible for us to necessarily live. Um, it's probably hardly possible for us to live like someone like the poorest person in Africa while we still are here in America. Okay, if we're going to live here, we have to, we have to be, we have to live within the program that's here. We have to live within that system to a degree. We're still here in the world, okay, but we're not of the world. It was amazing to me to discover some other figures. That booklet has all kinds of different figures in it, and it kind of jumps around, but ultimately it helps you discover how rich you are. Um, but America spends $11 million annually on bottled water when, I'm sorry, what did I say? $11 billion, is that what I said? If I said million, I'm off. It's $11 billion annually on bottled water, okay? And that's ironic because the majority of people's water coming out of their tap is actually very safe to drink in America. If you look at, in comparison to the world, probably, probably high 90s percent of the water coming out of our taps in the United States is, is safe to drink. Some of it's not. I understand that. Um, but then we have systems to fix that. But bottled water has become a big thing because of convenience, because of different reasons maybe. And it's estimated that it would cost that for approximately $10 billion, which is $1 billion less, this world's water problem could be solved. Now, if you think about that, if America could quit bottled water for one year, America could fix the water problem for the world. 
by drilling wells or whatever. Kind of astounding when you think about it. Not to mention, I don't have them all written down here, but not to mention that America spends $65 billion annually on their pets and $65 billion annually on... Um, lost that one. Not sure. There's two. $65 billion annual spent on different things that we could actually do without. Um, $6.5 billion annually on cleaning our cars and stuff like that. Now, I know some of that's not going to go away. It's not going to be zeros, okay? But we forget where we, we forget who we are and where we are, and before we know it, we acclimate into this world system, and we, we don't have the separation that we're really supposed to have. Jesus prayed that we would be kept from the evil of this world, not removed from the world, okay? So there's a lot of things in this world that are not wicked and evil in themselves, but our, but our job as Christians is to make sure we don't get swallowed up by the system. And if we get swallowed up by its system, even, among, even in the good things of this world, it will only lead us one direction, and that's downhill into the wickedness of the world. He said that we are not of this world. So either we are Christ, or we are this world's. Who do we belong to? What is the deciding factor as to who we belong to? And I'm not sure that I can stand here and answer that. But we're going to have to answer that as individuals. What is the deciding factor? My challenge this morning is not so much all these details, some of these details, and, and, and to put you on a guilt trip that if, you know, that if well, $10,000 worth of assets puts me on that side of the wall, and my assets are $100,000, then, then I'm going to be condemned for that. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we need to be careful that the, the way that we gain those assets or the, way, the reason that we find ourselves in that position is not because... We just make sure that it's, it's not because we've gotten swallowed up in this world system. And that we're making sure we're good stewards with that money, of course. And that would mean also sharing with other people. But... Um, the, the real challenge this morning is that we understand that this world and its system is Satan's and it desires, Satan desires to get us. He desires to have us become part of that system. You know, if you, can, if you become part of Satan's system here in this world, then you can just keep coming to church here and looking the same as you are and Satan will have won. Okay, it's not about, that part's not about how you look necessarily or how you practice in life. It does have to do with how you practice in life. But a lot of it is it starts with a mindset. Am I part of this world or am I not part of this world? Do I view myself as being part of this world? When I go to work tomorrow morning, what is my view of myself? Where am I going? What is my job? Who am I? That's why I say, that's why I gave the title, Who in the World Are You? And How in the World Are You Doing? What does worldliness look like? It's as varied as we are varied in people. It's different maybe according to age, according to gender, according to position, according to abilities, and on and on we could go. 
Worldliness has a lot of faces. Has a lot of faces. And ultimately, worldliness is just being part of this world system. It might have to do with our house. might have to do with our car. might have to do with our job. It might have to do with things I do. Even, te- even teaching or singing. On and on the list could go. What is worldliness like? We know some things. We could certainly... We could probably put a list up here, I'm sure, of things that are worldly. Okay? And we could put another list of things that are not worldly. We're educated enough in the, in the Word to know some things that are definitely worldly and some things that are definitely not worldly. They're like God. They're like Christ. But we find ourselves living in an area that tends to look gray at times. And we're called to make those decisions. And to be not part of this world, but to be part of the kingdom of God. I want to leave with us, I just want to read John 16:33 again, because I don't want this to be a negative message. It's very actually has a lot of positive connotation. Jesus here when he says these things, actually I'm going to turn to John 16 and maybe read just a couple more verses. And this was his word right before we have the prayer where we, where we read. Um, verse 29 of John 16. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee, by this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. He was speaking of his upcoming trial, and maybe beyond, but of that especially. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus was saying that right in the right as he said, you're all going to leave me and I'm going to be alone, but I'm really not going to be alone because the Father's with me. But be of good cheer. When you feel alone, you're not alone either. Very positive side here. Jesus calls us to be not of the world, but we're called to go into the world. And we need to stay clear up of the world and its system as we go into the world. And the way we can do that is through the Holy Spirit within us. And the fact that Jesus said, even he has already overcome the world, and therefore we have the power within us, with his spirit, to overcome that world as well. And to be victorious and to be part of that Great reunion someday when he will be able to say, Enter ye in, O blessed of the Father.